what is Cafe Mocha? Cafe Mocha is experts, celebrities. What's up? This is Belle Bid DeVoe. Yours truly Idris Elba. This is Fantasia. This is Invo. This is India Ari. Hey, what's up? This is Brandy. Music and features from a woman's perspective. Intriguing conversation. Espresso. The Mocha Mix. So much more. All from a woman's perspective. What flavor are you baby? This is Cafe Mocha. Coming to America debuts this weekend on Amazon Prime. We're talking to the Oscar-winning costume designer who brought Wakanda to life and will now bring Zamunda to life. But first, she's an ER doctor in Brooklyn. She takes us back to when the pandemic hit and her thoughts on the vaccine. Nothing in the world that I it's Cafe Mocha, Angelique, Lonnie, Love, and Yo-Yo. On the line, she is an emergency room physician in Brooklyn, Dr. Arabia Molette. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join Cafe Mocha today. How are you? I'm, I'm actually much better. I'm actually doing much better. Last year, you know, was, was a harrowing experience, especially for New York, um, New York City and New York State, as well as the tri-state area, it was very difficult. But, you know, I'm still here. God is good, despite. And um, the only thing I can say is that we just have to keep our faith and and really try to do away with self-entitlement and learn to work well together so we could get through this pandemic. First of all, I want to thank you, Dr. Arabia Millette, for being an essential worker, for hanging in there, especially with a city like New York. Um can we talk about how um, important it is to have physicians of color um, treating people? It is very important. I mean, and, and so, and it's so important to the fact that, you know, a recent article from CNN that was actually published on the website was uh, stating that uh, black babies that are born to um, obviously black mothers, but have black physicians, their mortality rate actually decreases in compared to if they had a white uh, physician. And so that was actually quite astonishing, not for me per se, but just overall that CNN had actually revealed that article. And it made me think of even on the other side of being a patient myself, I was a teen mother. Um, and I know that my experience as being a teen mother going through, you know, giving birth to my own son, I actually experienced racism in, in medicine from my own obstetrician at the time. I was 16, I was giving birth. And the things that she said to me, the, the way she treated me, um, as a matter of fact, I almost died from childbirth as well as my son. And thankfully, my mother was there. And so for me personally, it is very important um, for the black brown community to understand they cannot afford to lose uh, black and brown physicians. Um, part of it is because of the fact that, for one, we understand um, as far as what we go through, um, we understand from the level of culture, our language, um, mm -hmm. certain things that, you know, that we can experience, that we experience, but we could be able to relate to the patient and actually be able to help our patients or help our community at on a greater level. And so we are primarily the ones that are advocating for, you know, access to health care and to do away with racism and bias. But um, if you have noticed in the news recently, some of my own colleagues that are teaching at different, uh, different medical schools have been fired uh, because they spoke out against yeah. racism and bias in medicine. Yeah. And so I've been discriminated against as well. I've actually got let go of a job two years ago. Uh, because I stood up for myself because I was tired of it. But again, I mean, 
the whole point is we have to continue to fight. It's, it's tiring, it's exhausting because all I really want to do is just go into work and, and just provide, you know, the best health care possible. But I would have never imagined that years later, I, I was trained, I'm a Cuban trained physician, so I was trained in Cuba and then came back to the United States um, to do the rest of my training and as well as, you know, to practice emergency medicine. But I would have never thought um, culturally that I would have to face this battle along with the rest of the doctors, uh, black and brown doctors that are also facing the same um, situation like myself. We're talking to Dr. Arabia Molet. She's an emergency room doctor in Brooklyn, New York. We were talking about racism in medicine. And of course, as a doctor, you've experienced it. But we've heard the stories of people coming to the emergency room, Black people coming to the emergency room, thinking they have COVID, being turned away. Oh, you just have this and then going somewhere and dying. Do you think that story changes if we had more if we have more people of color, more doctors of color, do you think that there would be more sensitivity to? Well, I think at the time when COVID hit, I, I think that what it is is that because we also have to be very careful how and as you ladies, you all know, you have, you have the experts in media. You know, there's always like the clickbait headlines and mm-hmm. people jump on it, but not necessarily read the entire story. I say that to say that at the height of the pandemic, um, back in March of 2020, uh, when the pandemic or when COVID-19 hit New York City, it affected everybody, whether you were black, white, Latino, um, indigenous, Asian, it affected everyone. But the problem was where, depending on where you live, mattered. And the reason why I said that, because of the lack of resources. So when the pandemic hit, we had no idea how to take, how to address the situation because it hit so rapidly and we weren't getting a response from the federal government. And so when we had, we were tracking Italy and China, how the way they would take care of their patients. And because we were facing um, minimum resources, we had to decide, okay, who was the sickest? What would be the protocol in terms of taking care of so many people with little resources, including staff? Many hospitals around the United States are understaffed. So I do not think at the beginning when, when it first happened, it had to do with racism. It had a lot to do. Actually, it did indirectly when you're dealing with institutional disparities. So depending on where the neighborhood you live, you may have more resources. You may have better resources. Where I work, we were facing... Um, you know, some pretty tough decisions. And we were facing um, just a lack of overall resources. And it was really hard because we wanted, we tried to take care of everyone, but we just couldn't because it was over, it was beyond the capacity in which we were able to take care of people. And it was just very difficult for many hospitals throughout New York, especially if you in a poor um, black and brown area. Um, you know, just to, just to put it out there, Native Americans have actually, um, as of now, has the highest rates of death in the United States, more so than Blacks and Latinos combined. Hmm. And so when I was talking with friends of mine over there and, and, and where they work at in Native American reservations, they were going through 10 times worse. And they were just feeling like they didn't have the resources to take care of everyone and had to turn people away. And so, but that is, has a lot to do with racism um, because of the fact that why aren't these hospitals and lower resource neighborhoods or marginalized communities are not funded properly. Why are we still continuously having these same conversations? And that was the biggest issue that we were facing. Unfortunately, in the news media, you know, the media in itself did not, didn't help us in a lot of ways. It was so much misinformation that was being spread that then you have, you know, the previous president, 
um, seeing a lot of crazy things. And it just felt like there was such a war against public health. A lot of us on the front line felt like no one gave a damn. No one cared about us as well. Talking Mm. about misinformation, many Blacks and Latinos aren't interested in taking this COVID vaccine, including some in the medical field. What are you telling patients who are scared to get the vaccine? You know, and, and, and here's the thing, because that was the part, and, and I would say that the, the, there's, there's a slight difference in response to, in terms of black and brown people taking a vaccine in New York. I think part of it is because we had it up close and personal and we saw the devastation, yeah. how devastating it was and the impact. And so people here in New York and more so in the New York tri-state area, they're more flexible with it. They do understand there's a lot of education that's going out there, even though I think the vaccine rollout is just, I don't even know how to describe. I'm just trying to be, you know, (laughs) like not trying to be mean. But um, I would say that, you know, don't you have to know your history. And I've heard so much misinformation about I've seen someone have wrote uh, something about like how the vaccine is a um, is the European poison. And I'm like, if you know your history, you will understand that an enslaved African in Boston laid the foundation for the development of vaccines. He created the vaccine for smallpox. And so black people have been major contributors to global medicine worldwide. And so instead of people keep constantly harping on the Tuskegee experience, which has nothing to do with the vaccine, one was the people or the men was denied treatment. This mm-hmm. time you're not denied treatment. You're denied the you're not denied, sorry, you're not denied treatment. You are given the right to have the vaccine. The problem is is that we we have to Stop listening to people who are not experts. Listen to the people who are experts like myself. You know, talk to your doctor. Talk, there are black and brown physicians out there that are on the front line that are advocating for us to get the vaccine because we have been dying at a disproportionate rate. Even healthcare workers, black and brown healthcare workers represent that high number as well from people dying. And so until we have this conversation and understand, yes, we are still traumatized by what happened to us for over decades with unethical medical experimentation. But we also have to understand that if we don't do the right thing, we are going to continuously die from it. And this is why, and I do think that this is partly the reason why that you're seeing in the news about, you know, white people coming up to black and brown communities getting a vaccine because the vaccine rollout is so low, people are not showing up for it. And also too, you know, the vaccine rollout is a little messy because there's too many websites. And how is it that, you know, in these communities, especially the elderly, they don't have access to the Internet. And so we we have to do better. We have to come to a common ground. The community has to come together and say, you know what? We got to fight for us. We got to do what we have to do so we can survive and understand the basic science. Here in the United States, people lack basic understanding of science. And that is the reason why people can just run off and promote misinformation and people fall for it because education is at an all-time low. The last question, Dr. Arabia, please explain what a vaccine does because a lot of people don't understand what it does. I mean, basically what a vaccine does is to help you to build antibodies to something that's foreign in you. And we do it all the time, whether it is you've got the mumps of the MMR, which is the mumps, measles, rubella vaccine, or, you know, if you got uh, what is it called, the um, 
Tdap, a lot of these vaccines that I'm naming is all a lot of these vaccines that I'm mentioning is what we got during our childhood. And some of them we don't have to take anymore because we already gotten it through our childhood. And so it's to help to provide you protection. It's to help to to help um, boost your immunity to those same foreign anti uh, sorry foreign bodies, which could be a virus, so forth that is coming into your body. So you want your body to be able to protect itself and recognize like, uh oh, something is inside of me. No, no, no. I recognize that from before. Let me build that antibody up so I can fight against it. And so that is the point of, of the vaccine is for protection. And hopefully with this back of COVID-19, you know, we're not too sure as far as like the, the, um, how the uh, immunity will last, but we do know that it will help reduce the severity of COVID, the symptoms of COVID-19. Dr. Arabia Molet, emergency room doctor in Brooklyn, New York. Thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome, ladies. And happy belated Valentine's Day. Stay safe, stay black, stay beautiful. You, you stay too. healthy, Doc. We love you. Thank you. You are Thank so, you so much. Yes. You're welcome. It's Cafe Mocha. The next edition of Salute Her is just in time for Women's History Month, March 21st. We're celebrating with a lot of amazing women, including... Cynthia Arrivio, Grammy, Emmy, and Tony Award winning actress, singer, and producer, creating the Legacy Award. Holly Robertson-Peake, co-founder of Holly Rod Foundation, Toyota Champion Award. We love Holly. She ain't been on the show in a minute. I know. It's about time. We also got Latasha Brown-Byrne, co-founder of Black Voters Matters. Yep. Change Award. Dr. Corbett, who helped us get that vaccine. She's one of the doctors from UNC. I was so happy to get her. Pinky Cole, you know, the CEO and founder of Slutty Vegan, the Powerhouse Award. She deserves that. Okay. Mm -hmm. Deneen Milner, New York Times bestselling author and founder of MyBrownBaby.com, Champion for Children Award. And And Melanie Campbell. Uh, President, CEO of the National Coalition for the Black Civic Participation. Woo, that's a long word. Wait, though, Eric Benet is performing. Yeah, Uh, I know. Yes, my girl, I will survive. Gloria Gaynor, I am so excited. And it's hosted by who, ladies? Lonnie Love. Angelique is going to be our voice. Yo-Yo is going to give gonna her be, presentations. I'm going to be behind the scenes saying, oh, as long as I know how to love, I'm not <laughs> And this wonderful event is sponsored by Toyota and AARP. It's our third Salute Her, that's virtual award, March 21st. We want everybody to tune in. It will be streaming. Um, we just have a really good time. We, it's yeah. so inspirational. Yes, it, it is. is. Motivational. And for it to be Women's History Month, I mean, Angie, I'm excited. I am too. We got I a always, lot of amazing women. I always walk away feeling motivated. Definitely, definitely. And you know what? I always say we have to honor our own women. And this is exactly what Cafe Mocha is doing. You guys look out March 21st. Salute her awards. Announcing the Mocha Podcast Network, an innovative lifestyle podcast network featuring conversations from a Black perspective. Curated with respected voices led by actresses and comedians Sherry Shepard and Kim Whitley. We're funny and we have a point of view. We call that edumatainment. That's what we call it. Is that what it is? 
veteran TV journalist Rolanda Watts. Shocking the heck out of everybody. The legendary Unky Divas in Vogue. This topic is girl groups in the industry. To syndicated broadcast personalities Lonnie Love and Dee Dee McGuire, as well as an array of experts and activists. Mocha Podcast Network, a lifestyle destination with authentic voices and perspectives designed to enrich and empower women of color with a unique listening experience. More than a destination, the Mocha Podcast Network is a full-service studio that offers an ongoing portfolio of production, distribution, marketing, guest booking, and most importantly, ad sales. With a unique revenue model for podcasters that includes customized promotional campaigns created specifically around podcaster and targeted audience, service social media promos and pushes, MPN brand advertising, targeted electronic newsletter, experienced sales representation. For advertisers, the Mocha Podcast Network is a safe marketplace to align their brands with trusted voices, organically engaging the highly in-demand female consumer and more. With quality over quantity, from concept to completion, now is the time for content creators and brands to join the innovative Mocha Podcast Network and experience unapologetic conversations with a new perspective. This is Cafe Mocha. I'm Lonnie Love. Joining me now, she's the woman who helped bring Wakanda to life, and she's doing the same thing for Zumanda. I'm talking about the one and only Oscar-winning costume designer, Ruth E. Cotter, and coming to America. Welcome to the show, Ruth. I'm so excited. Thank you. Thank you. Now, I'm excited to be here. I don't know if you remember this, but way back in the day, I was an up and coming comic and I got hired by Robbie Reed, the casting director to do your birthday party. And I actually did stand up. We were outside at, at a house and it was your birthday party. And that was the first time I met you. It was a long time ago. <laughs> wow. Man, we should do that again. I know we've come full circle. COVID, man, has just like separated all of us. It really has. You are the first costume designer that is going to be receiving a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Oh, congratulations. How does it feel? It feels like a great honor. And I have uh, walked across those stars many a times, beating the streets, carrying my heavy garment bags and going in and out of stores and saying, oh, that's Dorothy Dandridge. And oh, that's Fred Astaire, ooh, that's Harry Belafonte, you know, ooh, that's Arsenio Hall. And now somebody's going to say, ooh, that's Ruth Carter. Yes. That's it's a amazing. great honor. Well, let's talk about all the things that you've done. Um, you know, we know about Black Panther. We know about, you know, the butler. But now coming to America to the long-awaited sequel, are you going to dust off any of the old costumes, Ruth? I did. I dusted. I dusted off some of the old the dresses. I found them at a rental house. Those big, big shoulder dresses. Those Ankara fabrics. The big turbans. And we put them in the film. Uh, we also went to Paramount's archives, and we got out the original King's crown. And James Earl Jones is wearing the original crown from the first movie. 
um, we were we were able to examine a lot of the jewelry that they kept. I mean, they did such beautiful pieces, but it's all archived now. We couldn't actually use it. We had to recreate our own. Well, I'm so excited. I saw the movie yesterday and the job that you did with just the colors, it's so beautiful. I mean, congratulations. Can you explain you. to the listeners the role that costumes play in telling the story and defining the characters? Yes, I have my own subtext going on. I know uh, all about you when I dress you. I have made up a whole story about your life because like a uh, costume designer is a storyteller. So I have to know the reason why you're wearing the clothes that you're wearing. And uh, even if it's a fictitious place, I have to really come up with a, a subtext and, 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 uh, and understand you as a, a, as a, a part of the bigger story in order to, uh, in order to lace you in. So, um, you know, costume designer is a storyteller through, um, through apparel. And for this movie, Coming to America 2, um, or Coming to America, what was your favorite costume, if you have one? Oh, my favorite costume has got to be Randy Watson. <laughs> <laughs> Loved it. Loved it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, I can't wait for everyone to see Coming to America. How did you put the Ruth Carter touch? to the new movie, Coming to America? Oh, I love for comedy. I feel like I'm funny myself. And uh, I think the Ruth Carter touch might've been a little humor and a lot of color, you know, a lot of heart and, uh, and an infusion, infusion of culture, you know, some real cultures up in that film too. Well, the listeners of Cafe Mocha are so proud of you, and we cannot wait to see the new movie, Coming to America, which will be uh, streaming on Amazon March the 5th. Thank you, Ruth Carter, and good thank luck. Thank you. Oh, thanks so much. I, I'm Take glad care. you had the time. Bye-bye. Here's your dose of espresso. Strong, hot news now. This is the Espresso. Berkeley, California just told cops you can't be stopping people for little stuff anymore. The city council there voted to end all traffic stops for low-level offenses such as not wearing a seatbelt or an expired license. Cops can also no longer conduct warrantless searches of people on parole or probation. Award season kicked off and Judas and the Black Messiah and the United States versus Billie Holiday both won Best Actor Awards at the Golden Globes. If you saw Andre Day as Billie Holiday, you know she earned it. And to the amazing, transformative, dynamic uh, Billie Holiday, who just, just transformed me with this role and with her presence and with her spirit. Eddie Murphy and Arsenio explained why comedian Louis Anderson was in the first coming to America. I uh, love Louis, but I think we were forced to put Louis in it. What? <laughs> yeah, Paramount was like with the because the whole cast is black, and this was back in the you know the eighties. So it was like we have to have a white person. We can't do it. Has to be a white person in the movie. Like, what? <laughs> coming to America streaming now on Amazon Prime. That's the espresso. Cafe Mocha is a production of Miles Ahead Broadcasting in partnership with Compass Media, executive producer Sheila Eldridge. For comments, booking, or more information, visit CafeMochaRadio.com. Announcing the Mocha Podcast Network. 
an innovative lifestyle podcast network featuring conversations from a black perspective. Curated with respected voices led by actresses and comedians Sherry Shepard and Kim Whitley. We're funny and we have a yes. point of view. We call that edumatainment. That's what we call it. Is that what it is? Veteran TV journalist Rolanda Watts. Shocking the heck out of everybody. The legendary Unky Divas in Vogue. This topic is girl groups in the industry. To syndicated broadcast personalities, Lonnie Love and Dee Dee McGuire, as well as an array of experts and activists. Mocha Podcast Network, a lifestyle destination with authentic voices and perspectives designed to enrich and empower women of color with a unique listening experience. More than a destination, the Mocha Podcast Network is a full-service studio that offers an ongoing portfolio of production, distribution, marketing, guest booking, and most importantly, ad sales. With a unique revenue model for podcasters that includes customized promotional campaigns created specifically around podcaster and targeted audience, service social media promos and pushes, MPN brand advertising, targeted electronic newsletter, experienced sales representation, for advertisers, the Mocha Podcast Network is a safe marketplace to align their brands with trusted voices, organically engaging the highly in-demand female consumer and more. With quality over quantity, from concept to completion, now is the time for content creators and brands to join the innovative Mocha Podcast Network and experience unapologetic conversations with a new perspective. <laughs> 